Today on the show, we're getting to speak to a record-breaking Hall of Famer from Southern Utah University, and she's now the Deputy Commissioner of the Summit League. We're going to be breaking down her athletic career, some of the advice she would give to young athletes, what happened when she played overseas for a year, the advice that she has for everybody, as well as what goes on as a Deputy Commissioner of the Summit League. You might not know a lot of this information, like the financial benefits of your team and your conference making it to an NCAA tournament. We'll be talking about all of this today on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am excited to be here with you guys. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show over the last five years. You know, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners who are out there. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome aboard. I always like to, to welcome the new listeners. Hopefully, I'll get you to subscribe to the podcast and listen to more interviews, those who have been done in the past and those that will come in the future. Um, pay attention to the show. We love to bring on new guests every single week and have them share their stories with the rest of us. Um, let you learn something new in the sports world. Big shout out to everybody, though, because we're now in 93 different countries. Um, it's just been amazing, the growth of the show, and it's due in large part to the guests and the listeners of the show, anybody who's supported. So if you haven't followed me on my social media outlets, please do so. They're not the biggest thing in the world, but that is where I communicate with a lot of the listeners. So feel free to follow me on, on my social media platforms, and uh, welcome to the show. Today is a special episode. Um, I'm bringing on a guest who... I connected with through another guest that was on the show. If you guys recall, just a few a few weeks ago, maybe it's probably been two months now if I think about it, back in December, uh, Sean McCaw was on the show, and he was talking about his journey in playing basketball overseas. Well, through that, I actually ended up getting Sean's book. And in that book, the foreword was written by our guest today. So um, I was reading that foreword, and I, and I would encourage anybody that is a, a basketball fan or playing basketball and who has aspirations to play professionally and maybe you go overseas same name different game by sean mccall make sure to check that book out i i stand by that but you'll also when you buy that book you'll be able to see the forward and read that i was reading through it and i was like i reach out to sean and i go man i need this lady on my show man can you make a connection and he did and i'm grateful that she joined us her name is mindy k larson so mindy k thanks so much for joining us and uh, being willing to share your story of course. Thank you for reaching out. It's fun to kind of connect through our world of basketball. So thank you so much. Yes. Uh, that's the cool thing about the sports world, right? It, it's smaller than people think. It's a very large world, but then there's connections here and there that just, you know, it, it's kind of one big spider web and for it's sure. cool to cool to connect. So, you know, Mindy Kay, I want to, I want to ask you before we get started about, you know, talking about the summit league. So for those who don't know, she is the deputy commissioner of the Summit League. Um, we have that here in the description of the podcast. But I want to talk about your your actual athletic background um, and where okay. that began. So let's 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 rewind the clock a little bit and talk about your athletic background because you yourself have some accolades um, from from the sports world. So let's chat about that. Uh, what sport were you most involved in? You know what is crazy is that I actually started out in tennis. 
I started playing tennis when I was like five or six years old. And I really attribute that to my hand-eye coordination when I got into basketball, but essentially grew out of the tennis skirt, just kept getting taller and taller. And so I had an opportunity about fourth grade to start playing um, basketball and just really kind of became a love of mine. And then I was able to keep doing that through high school and college and a little bit overseas. So I really, I do though attribute my parents, like I did some gymnastics, I did some tennis, I did some t-ball, I did a little bit of it all. And I was kind of allowed to find my own, you know, niche. So basketball ended up being it. And the fact that I'm, you know, five foot 17 doesn't hurt. That helps a little bit with the basketball. So it's just, it was just kind of a getting a lot of exposure to a lot of different things and finding the thing that fit the most. That's awesome. Uh, multi-sport athletes, like just learn, well, not necessarily just a multi-sport athlete, but the kids who are able to play different, you know, compete in different sports and then being able to take some of those skill sets and transfer them to the next, you mentioned hand-eye coordination from tennis. Was there anything else that you took from the other sports that you competed in at a young age into the basketball world when you kind of decided to focus on basketball for the main part? Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, like I said, the hand-eye coordination from tennis and, and like footwork. I think a lot of the sports that you have to have that very specialized footwork, whether it's lining up in the batter's box or, you know, hitting a volley at the net or even like with uh, volleyball approaching the net for a spike, like all that kind of technical footwork really helps. And then just like there's just a mentality with sports, like regardless of what you're playing, like a mental toughness and uh you know, all the dedication and all of that kind of mental aspect, no matter what you play, carries over into every sport. So I think just being able to kind of take what you can from each sport and apply it across the board is what makes multi-sport athletes eventually so successful when they get to a point that they have to specialize. And I think it's important too, because I think kids are specializing too early now and we're seeing lots of, lots of injuries at an early age from overuse. And so that opportunity to do a bunch of different things with a bunch of different muscles is important before you really settle in and, and figure out what your athletic path is going to be. Totally. I like that. I mean, that's been brought up in, in this show before too, just how quickly kids start to focus on one, like specialize in your words to, to one sport and yeah. you know, whether or not it's a good or bad thing for athletics. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird the day and age that we're in right now. Like if regardless of what sport you're in, it could be cheerleading, it could be football, it could be soccer or basketball, volleyball. There's club sports now. So you basically have to play that all year round. If you truly want to make it to the next level, it feels like, because you got to keep up with the Joneses almost in a sense. Um, yeah. so it's almost like forcing them to kind of focus on one pretty much all year round from the age of like 10 or 11, almost sometimes. So it's kind of brutal at, at this point, but I love that. I love that you mentioned footwork. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant is the one that comes to mind when it comes to footwork. Footwork is such an underrated thing that goes into all sports, even as myself as a boxer, like you have to have the right footwork. People don't even realize yeah. the importance of footwork. Footwork is so important in all sports, but no one really focuses on that at all. But footwork is so important. So I'm glad to hear that you uh, you mentioned those footwork, the mentality, the dedication, everything that goes into it. You can apply that from one sport to the next. You know, um, you you had yourself quite the career in, at the collegiate level, too. So I want to talk about that. You know, that's that's where yeah. in the foreword that you wrote about, you know, Sean's career, you you have a seat with him in the Hall of Fame at Southern Utah. Talk to us about, you know, why you went to Southern Utah. Is, that a, is it a family school? Um, is that where you grew up? Um, and just talk to us about your your college experience, because, yeah, you landed yourself in the the hall of fame at Southern Utah. You know, I, 
I ended up at Southern Utah because I was naive to the recruiting process, which I think is was a good thing for me because I had some bigger schools. I was talking to University of Utah. I was talking to Colorado State. I was talking to University of Idaho at the time. And these bigger schools all were talking to me about this red shirt thing. And I just was like, I do not understand why you want me to come sit on the bench. I just didn't have that mentality. I couldn't see forward into what a benefit that was. And then um, through a, a connection, like we talked about athletics being a small world, my assistant high school coach played at Southern Utah and called her old coach and said, Mindy Kay's just not finding a home that she's happy with. You might have a chance here. And next thing I know, I had this school in my living room saying, yeah, come, we'll play you immediately. Like, you don't have to sit out. You can come do this. And I think I was in um, Twin Falls, Idaho. So not like New York City by any means, not this major metropolitan area. So I think Southern Utah was good for me to have a college experience far enough away from home, but I could get back if I really wanted to. And also just not an overwhelming university where I was actually, my professors knew me by name and not a number and different things like that. And I, I ended up really valuing that. So I happened at Southern Utah by happenstance, but I think things happen for a reason because I really do feel like I was supposed to be there. Um, I got the kind of immediate coaching attention that I needed to develop raw talent into something that, you know, could, could make a mark at the college level. So I think that, um, I think student athletes shouldn't write off small schools. There's benefits to them that, uh, the big schools can't provide. I love that. That that's awesome. So you mentioned twin falls real quick. I took a note on that twin. Is that where you're from? That is where I was born and raised is twin falls, Idaho. So are you a Bruin? I am. I am a Bruin. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I'm, I'm over in Boise. So not too far from Twin Falls, about two hours away. So that's, yeah. that's cool to hear that you, that you grew up there. Okay. So, um, you go to Southern Utah, you mentioned the red shirting thing. That was a, that was a, a, a talking point. And I know there's a lot of athletes, especially the ones that I coach that are, you know, going to be seniors in high school this year. Um, that red shirt conversation for some reason, Mindy K, it seems like that is such a, it's a, it's a turnoff to a lot of kids. And I don't know if it's necessarily a pride thing. I don't know if that was the case for you, if it was prideful or like what in the world I should be playing right now or whatever. Yeah. Uh, obviously it worked out for you going to the smaller school and being able to play immediately. Um, if you could give advice to some of these younger kids that might not be, I guess the full on athletes that these schools are saying, Hey, you can either, you know, red shirt or maybe go to a Juco first, whatever. And some of them just don't like the red shirt idea. What advice mm -hmm them in hindsight now that you have all this experience and, and you can look back if a school is offering you a red shirt opportunity it's a compliment because they're saying you might not be ready yet but we're willing to invest in you for a year to get you ready so you really should look at it as a compliment um, also like you should be a little bit smart about it and you should look at rosters and you should look at their depth because it may be a situation where they have a junior and senior center if you're playing center and you won't get any time. So why start your eligibility clock? Why not go for a year, develop as a student as an and as an athlete? And then as those older classmen graduate, you come in and you have more of an opportunity to, to play. But I was exactly in that same boat that you just said as, as an 18-year-old thinking, 
why would I take a basketball scholarship to go sit on the bench and not ever get to see a game? Because all of us have that competitive drive and we just want to get in there and battle. But knowing what I know now, hindsight being 2020, it really is a compliment. And it really is saying we want to make an investment in you and we want you to develop and still have your four years with us. And I also think on the same token that um, JUCO isn't a bad thing either. If that's the right thing for you to go for two years and um, get to play and get to develop and get a head start on some education, it's, it's not a bad deal, especially in this day and age with the transfer portal being such a big deal in Division One right now. Coaches are starting to look for students, especially new coaches that come in and get a new job and they've got to do something immediately to prove that they're paying them all that money for a reason. They're looking at the transfer portal and they're looking at junior college kids because they don't have time to develop them. They need somebody to come in and make an immediate impact. So I think every path is different, but every path can be successful. You just have to do the research of the factors that are surrounding you. Totally. And when do you think that research needs to be started? I, I, I'm curious in your, like for kids, when should they start that research? If they actually have aspirations to play at the next level in, in their sport, when should they be looking at, when should parents be helping them look at that stuff? Um, you know, it gets earlier and earlier. Um, for NCA definition, you know, prospects are considered eighth grade. So probably by your freshman year, if you're serious about it, you should be starting to target schools you're interested in, figure out ways that they are going to see you play, whether that's through an AAU, whether that's through your high school. Any more um, club teams are so important, whether that's right or wrong, but getting on a club team where it's, they're going to travel to some places where basketball coaches are, are huddling to scout and evaluate talent, that's important, but it does somewhat have to start young. and. It's not just on the basketball side either, um, regardless of whether you're going division one, two, three, whatever, there's an academic component to that. So you need to make sure you're getting into your counselor and you're taking the right classes so that you don't find out as a junior, you need two more math classes to be eligible to go to the college you want to go to. So I think you have to try to be a true student athlete, a student getting your academics in order, and then also just like look at rosters, you know, get on the internet and look and, and say, maybe the school you want to go to doesn't have a spot in the time frame that you are, but maybe someone else in the conference does. So maybe there's like, man, they're not going to need a point guard for a while, but their rival is. So maybe I need to shift my focus and look there. So do some internet research. There's lots out there now. I love that information. And I hope that the kids that are listening, see, I do actually coach at the club level. Um, and, and yeah, there's, that's, hold i mean i see the benefits the of it but there there's but there's a double-edged sword there you know what yeah. i mean um when it comes to everything but i will say this from idaho's perspective i'm just going to be honest with the kids i hope those who are listening to this right now at least from idaho and i know there's other states that are the same way they're not coming to look at your high schools Re the reality is unless you are the best player in the state or in your region whatever they're not coming to look they're not going to go find somebody in middleton or here in meridian idaho unfortunately that's just the reality you the club teams are kind of where they do get the recruiting uh, for the most part here in this state, there are states where they'll go to the high schools, obviously California, Texas, there's some big ones out there and you'll, you'll get the hidden gems here and there, but it is, it's kind of a tough thing. So I just club hope team. that the people that are looking at the, that are listening to this can take note, you know, my, my club yeah. directors and the, and the club players, whatever, you know, make sure you're doing your research. Listen to what Mindy K just said on that regard, because it's got to start early. Um, yeah. And if you haven't started, you better get started, like get started. You got to get your name out there. But, and I love that you mentioned, the student athlete, like the academic component to it, 
Um, a lot of people might not realize that factor. Like when you go to a college, certain schools, especially prestigious universities, they might require a little stricter standard when it comes to academics that you might not have realized. Like if you want to go to UCLA, well, it's not just you got to be a high class athlete, but you've got to have some good academics to be able to get in there. Yeah. I, I'm an Ohio State fan. I, I know that for a fact when I was like, I just wanted to like look at what it was going to be like to just go to school at Ohio State. And there's certain academic standards that you might not realize you have to hit um, when, when you're trying to get in there. So keep that in mind. I love that. So, Mindy K, when you went to to Southern Utah, um, what do you think was the biggest transition from the high school level, um, playing very well at your high school level, getting into the college level of basketball? What's the biggest transition? Was it was it a hard one for you? Um, was it the speed of the game? What, what was it? The student athlete lifestyle? Just what was the biggest transition for you? Um, in terms of uh, athletics, I would say physicality. I would say that, um, well, because also obviously I was playing in the post and, um, <laughs> so like a point guard might disagree with me, but for me, it was physicality because, um, a lot of stuff that even just happened in like my first practice was, uh, would have been a foul at the high school level. And, and people are looking me at me like, well, you're going to have to be a little tougher. I remember that, like, and she's, she's my good friend now, Jamie White. She actually coaches at um, Fresno state, but she was a senior when I was a freshman and I, I blocked her shot the first day in, in pickup my first day. And next time down the court, she tackled me to the ground. <laughs> and so it was just kind of that way of saying, I'm a senior, you're a freshman, that sort of thing. So I think the physicality of it. And I think that in terms of the other side off the court, it's that time management because you don't have mom and dad making sure you're up to for school. You don't have classes like from um, eight to three, like you do in high school. You might have one at eight and not another one until one o'clock. And I also think it's important to learn how to develop a class schedule that doesn't interfere with basketball or whatever sport you're playing, but also progresses you towards graduation. Sometimes it's easy to take throwaway classes because they won't interfere with practice, but you need to make sure that you're being intentional about how you put a class schedule together as much as you you do your strength and conditioning and practice and everything. So it's really being a well-rounded uh, individual and learning how to manage yourself as an adult. It's good practice, though, for when you get out to the real world and have to manage your time and manage all your responsibilities. It's a good start. You know, there's there's two things that you've mentioned this whole experience in college that prepares you for the adult life and then you also mentioned something earlier that i took a note on when you mentioned that like redshirting and and when a, a college offers you a redshirt it's and they're willing to invest in you i just had a conversation with a buddy of mine in business um a, a gentleman asked for a raise that works for him and he unfortunately can't provide that raise but he said hey listen what i'm going to do is i'm going to invest in you i'm going to give you a two thousand dollar course to take so that if you leave and and do a better opportunity you can at least say hey this this company invested in you and wanted you to progress in your career, even though they couldn't pay you what you wanted to be paid. Um, and just the, the idea of like investing in someone, all of this collegiate experience, the whole the recruitment process, um, competing and all of this stuff and everything you just said there, being a student athlete, that prepares you for the real world. And I think that's huge um, for people to just take note. I, I, a lot of kids at that age, myself included, I don't think I really paid too much attention to that, but I wish I would have. Um, yeah. been, been realizing like these are the skill sets that I'm acquiring to transition into the real world. When that day comes, you might be playing professionally for another 10, 15 years. I don't know. But right. um, when you do have to get into the business world in some capacity, uh, it, it, it will be necessary. Now, speaking of the professional experience, at what point you said you mentioned you played overseas. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. 
So at what point in your college career, Mindy Kay, did you realize like, cause obviously you're in the hall of fame over at Southern Utah. So you had yourself quite the career. At what point did you realize like, Hey, I'm, I can actually do this the next level even. To be honest with you, it wasn't until my, my senior year. And the reason is because, um, I, not to be braggadocious, but I did, (laughs) I did, I broke some national records and I started to get some national attention and, um, started to have people that normally wouldn't have ever wanted to see me play, come see me play because they'd heard about things that I was doing. And that's when it really became a reality that like, yeah, I, I, I think I might be able to go on and do something with this. And for some people, it's a lot earlier for some people they're they're making that but i was a i was definitely a slow progression and i got better every year and by my senior year i was you know confident because i'd been doing it for a while and i think that really helped translate into into some success but i think as soon as you start to get attention it helps with the insecurity like am i good enough am i not good enough when people start to take notice of you it kind of starts to push those insecurities down a little bit that's so cool though like it's cool to see like you were you're progressing starting to get the national attention now as a collegiate athlete having the additional exposure and and whatnot did that put pressure on your shoulders did you feel a little bit more pressure to be able to execute at a high level um no i was a little bit oblivious um because so for instance one of the records that i had was i i went i went four games where i didn't miss a shot so i got to i got to a point where my coach uh like sid went to my coach and was like mini k hasn't missed in a while and he was like don't tell her (laughs) because you know the second you plant it in somebody's head so they didn't tell me until i finally did miss and then they said and you had missed an X amount of time and you broke the record for consecutive field goals. So at first I was oblivious, but after I broke that record, that's when, you know, people started asking for interviews and wanting to talk about it. And, um, but really like, to be honest with you, like I didn't think I was a talented basketball player until I started coaching. Because when I started coaching, I would simply be asking players to do what I did And when they couldn't always execute it at the same level that I did, I was like, huh, maybe I was doing something special. (laughs) Maybe not, but I, cause to me it was like, well, just go do this. I did it. Why can't you do it? So when I started coaching was when I was like, maybe, maybe I had some talent that I didn't fully recognize as a student athlete. That's a crazy concept. Cause I can actually speak to that. Not to your, yeah. But see, the thing is, I wasn't at your level by any means when it comes to like athleticism, but I could shoot, right? Like shooting was always my specialty and still is to this day. Like I, I still can shoot really well, um, especially from the three point line. But like, I always would like tell the kids, even last year, I'm like, guys, you're shooting like 30% right now. What is, go- you got to be shooting 60% if you're not being guarded, what's going on. Right. And then I'm telling them drills to do and they're not hitting shots. I'm like, maybe I was a really good shoot. Maybe I'm just <laughs> a little bit above average when it comes to shooting. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind exactly. of funny you say that. Yeah. So, so, but then so, it becomes a challenge because that's where the whole coaching bug gets you. Cause then you're like, I'm going to make you as good as me. I'm going to totally. do it. So that's exactly. where that comes full circle. I love that. That's awesome. So wow, four games without missing a shot. Do you remember what the amount of buckets were that you hit? Like how, how many field goals did you hit in a row? Um, 28. Good golly, dude. 28 straight. That's yeah. and uh, Yeah. That would, 
that would almost mess up my head as soon as I missed though. And I found that out and be but like, Oh man. The only one I remember is the miss. <laughs> oh, are you serious? I don't, I was that it was the end of the game and it was a chance to, we were down one. It was a chance to put us up by one. And I mean, I was fouled. Of course they were hanging <laughs> all over me, um, but we were on the road and I missed it. But that's, that's the one I remember. That's what I remember is the miss. And oh. we do that to ourselves as athletes. We, we focus on the what if, if I've only done this, if I'd only done that. But yeah, that's the one that kills me. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's the your own your own worst critic, right? That's yeah. how athletes are. That's crazy. So when you went overseas, then you know what's funny, Mindy K is I I spoke to a, a girl on this podcast a little over two or three, maybe three years ago now. Uh, her name was Jory Davis. Jory played for uh, Indiana, uh, but she graduated in 2008. She broke all the records over at Indiana, and she mentioned something that was interesting to me about college basketball at, at at least a Indiana, pretty prestigious university, yeah. really well, good facilities and so forth. But she said something about going overseas. Yes, they pay probably better than the WNBA does in, in some cases, uh, not, not all, but in some. And um, she did mention, though, like you all, it's a downgrade in the sense of like you don't have the facilities that you had at, this, at college. You had a full ride yep. scholarship at this or whatever, and you had access to the trainers and this, that, and the third. The weight rooms were way better, everything. And then you go overseas and you're living in a maybe you have an apartment that's just like a slum or whatever, and you maybe not getting your paychecks on time. It does, it's a lot of the different uh situations did you experience anything like that as far as a transition or did you guys have a pretty good experience when you went overseas um like one of the reasons that i envy sean is because he had such a amazing prolific great experience overseas loved it i was the opposite i had a challenging one i went over to france and i was in valencia france so i wasn't in like touristy <laughs> paris yeah. or anything like that um, they really do not care for Americans. <laughs> and so like the girls on my team, um, they all spoke English, but they wouldn't speak English to me because I was um, from the U.S. Practices were run in French. So I would have to kind of see the drill happen in order to do it. But the French girls would always push me to the front. <laughs> so I would get out there and not know what I was supposed to do. But I didn't know what they were saying to me. I had a girl from Spain and a girl from Greece. And the three of us with our Spanglish could kind of help each other through. Um, and you you really learn at the professional level that you're a commodity. It's oh, not wow. about your, it's not about your teammates anymore. And it's not about that great, you know, camaraderie you have and those lifelong friendships. It's about, we've hired you to produce. And if you can't produce kind of, forget about it. So I did it for one time. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back, but other people have amazing experiences. So, and, and that's why I think Sean's book is so valuable because a lot of it is finding the right agent who knows how to place you in the right situation where you're going to thrive. And, and so I think that again, it just goes back to education and research and just always being self-aware of there's a bigger picture. Totally. And I love that you mentioned that the education factor, you mentioned it for when you're trying to get into college, the same goes for if you're trying to play professionally, especially overseas. I mean, there are opportunities, whether you're a female or a male. But uh, again, if you guys haven't read this book, same name, different game. Um, that's a great place to start. You can listen to Mindy yeah. K's story here, but you can also read Sean's experience and just kind of figuring out the different things that you need to do. I've had other um, interviews on my show with people who've played overseas that have had, I mean, figure out the agents and know where you're going and Talk to players if you can get a hold of players that have played for those particular organizations, those clubs, whatever it is, 
to kind of see like, Hey, do you get paid on time? Where do you live? Like, what's it like? Yeah, Are the coaches exactly. really good? Like what's going on? What are the fans like? What, like figure it all out because you don't want to be miserable either. Like playing the game, right. some sacrifices required, but you don't want to be miserable. So that's where you'll end up in having a situation like that, where you're just like, Oh my gosh, they all hate me over yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Especially cause you're so far away from home. So oh, you want to make sure you're walking into a system that you feel that you feel good about. Cause it's not like you can, you know, call your mom and have her come pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> your, yeah. Mom your, and dad aren't there no more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the big it's, leagues now. <laughs> it's all up to you to, to make it work. Totally. Now, Mindy K, we talked about it earlier. This is where I want to kind of highlight what you're doing now um, at the Summit League. Uh, some people might not even know what that is. So if you wouldn't mind, as a deputy commissioner of the Summit League, first, let's yeah. figure out what the Summit League is and then what sure. your role is at the Summit League so we can become educated on the matter. Okay. So Summit League is a Division One conference. We have 10 schools. Um, and probably our most recent claim to fame was last year, um, Oral Roberts men made a run into the sweet 16. And that was, that was the school representing our league. Um, we're Midwest based, uh, we're heavy in, uh, North and South Dakota. We've got North Dakota, North Dakota state, South Dakota, South Dakota state. So some great rivalry games spread out into Omaha, Kansas city, Tulsa, Denver. So, uh, mostly Midwestern based. We 10 schools, 19 sports. We are a part of the basketball centric conferences, meaning that we don't have football. So basketball is our premier uh, sport. So we put a lot of emphasis on our, our basketball programs. We, uh, I'm actually right now, we're getting ready for our conference basketball tournament, which is our big premier event. So we'll have 16 teams come into town and put that on. But I didn't even know that this kind of a job existed. And it is the best. Like I spend my time planning championships year round for all different sports, all different student athletes. Um, I do work with all our officials. So I work with our official supervisors, getting officials assigned, dealing with the complaints, that sort of thing. Um, ball contracts, merchant. I mean, I just didn't even know that this kind of a job existed. And it is, it is so much fun to get to plan an event and then create a stage for all these student athletes to come showcase all the work they've been putting into for the year and award championships and then get to follow them as they go on into the NCAA and postseason. So that's basically what my job is, is planning our events. And um, but then I also like I get into scheduling, you know, putting our league schedules together. Uh, we get into policy, we get into NCAA legislation. And um, the one challenge with working at a conference office versus a campus is you are one step removed from the student athletes, which is the reason why we do anything. You have to work a little harder to make those connections with the student athletes, because when you're on campus, you're running into them all the time. But I mean, to really like this basketball event, we're doing a whole 80s theme, a whole back to the future. It's going to be incredible. And so seeing the student athletes come and be excited about the the um, atmosphere and excited about the participation gifts and all that kind of thing, it's really re rewarding for me to be behind the scenes putting together these extravaganzas for them to compete in. That's so cool. And it sounds like you got a lot that goes on. You had mentioned officials. You got to figure that all out. You got to deal with the complaints that come in from that. Um, yeah. Ball. What did you say? The 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 ball, ball contracts, contract, merchandise sales, security, PA announcers. Like it's a whole checklist of fun. No, see, that's I I bet you you know, Mindy K. I bet the the casual fan or the the casual just the general person has no idea what goes beyond. Let's just say a basketball game, for example. Let's yeah. Just put that 
there's so many moving parts to just putting a basketball game together, especially at that level. You might have like the, the PA system. You've got a scoreboard. You got to have to have, you have to have that ran. You got to have officials that are there. You got their safety precautions that have to be taken. All these things are there. People don't realize that they're just there for the entertainment factor. They don't see what goes on yeah. behind the scenes. You know, when, yeah. when Oral Roberts uh, made the tournament, does that financially benefit the conference? I would imagine it would, right? It if they make this, the, the NCAA tournament. Yep. The, there's a whole, um, you know, with the NCAA being nonprofit, everything goes back after, you know, everything goes back to, to the schools and the conferences. So um, with the NCAA tournament, what a lot of people don't understand is that they're watching it as a casual fan and, you know, having fun with it. We're sitting here going, oh, there's $1.7 million on the line if we don't win this game. And and so like you get more money for the the more wins you have in the tournament, the revenue gets larger and larger and larger. And like if you if you if you make it to a, a final four, like um, several years ago, Butler making it back to the final four back to back, a mid-major doing that, like that transformed that conference and that institution, that money is is life changing for them. So, um, you know, it's everybody gets excited about those power fives, the ACCs and all that. But the upsets are what we get, you know, the side stories and the human interest. But not just that for conference folks we're getting a financial benefit to that. That is just, there's no other way we could generate that much money that quickly by just a team winning in the NCAA tournament. And I don't know that the casual fan always understands how much is on the line for these programs. I, they don't. Cause I can tell you right now, like I don't, I, I pay pretty deep attention to it, but I don't know the exact numbers, but just you saying that like brings a lot of perspective to it. I knew there was money on the line and I am so glad you said that. I'm going to sniff that out here because I want to show people that on, on social media. That's a really important piece. And that's like, I, I was a Boise State alum, right? And I was, uh-huh. I remember the uh, the days of the Kellen Moore era for football. If anyone remembers Kellen Moore, I mean, we had four years of just crazy amounts of talent, but going to a BCS bowl back then, the, the old BCS bowls, people yeah. don't realize that's what tra- that's what transformed in your words you talked about Butler that's what transformed Boise State when we made the Fiesta Bowl back in 2000, 2006 2007 against Oklahoma Boise State made it there they don't realize like that money came into the school all of a sudden we have these new facilities well that that all also helps with the recruiting and there's a reason that the the schools that make the most money and generate that they continue to do it it's like the rich get richer in a sense because yeah. the school is now out recruiting all the rest, rest of the conferences and it's been doing so for over a decade now because you got all the facilities that are kind of close to a, a major school like a big power five conference they're starting to get there and that it's generating more money for the entire university so your academics get better you get more people coming in from different avenues out of state students so forth and it just continues to move on so people that see these smaller schools yeah it's a cool cinderella story but it is helping that university so much um yeah yeah, i mean makes you a contender absolutely if people think that money doesn't matter no it it does in a sense because the recruits want to go to places and the coaches want to be able to be paid. The recruits want to go places that they can like feel like, Oh, this is like a luxurious place. You know, there's a reason Ohio state and Michigan, and they're bringing in billions of dollars every year. I mean, they continue to do that because they keep winning and they keep bringing in revenue. You just got to get started somehow to get that momentum rolling. I think that's so cool. Um, Do you get to go to those events like the, the NCAA tournament and so forth when they, when they make it? I do. We do get to follow. We do get to follow our team. And I, just drew the best lot last year because um, so we got, we got two teams in on the women's side Uh, university of South Dakota and South Dakota state last year, both made the NCAA tournament. We got in at large. So uh, the commissioner 
felt like with two teams in the league, he, he needed to go to San Antonio and, and represent, you know, our at large and our, so I got the Oral Roberts, you know, call to follow them. And it like, this is, they were a 15 seed, right? So I think I'm going for a weekend. So I pack for a weekend and I end up staying for 11 days. So it was the most <laughs> fun shopping spree to ever go on, to have to buy clothes and say, and it was, it was really a great experience. And again, just like, I think like the, the power fives are used to it, but for a mid major, like, like someone from the summit league to make it to the sweet 16, it's just those student athletes, it's an experience that they will never forget. Like they'll, and, and our league will talk about it forever. We'll hang our hat on it. Prior to this, we had to hang our hat on the Bryce Drew shot, you know, way back in the day. So it's, it's nice to have a contemporary moment as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. What would you say? I mean, you mentioned in your particular position, not being on campus is kind of a, a hiccup there, but what is the most difficult part of your job? Delivering bad news. I think, <laughs> I think, um, when you, you know, you get into situations like the, what has been really challenging with COVID is uh, you lose your, we're losing games because, you know, you can't play or whatnot. And so bracketing comes down to winning percentages and, and people are getting a higher seed because they played less games. And is that fair and all of that stuff? So for COVID, just nav navigating the fact that there's not going to be competitive equity, there just can't be because of the situation we're in and games being canceled. You can't blame a program because they have a COVID outbreak. So I think kind of managing expectations. And then um, coaches are just a very unique breed. They're just a very unique breed. And I've had some very colorful phone conversations been called some colorful names trying to calm coaches down and so i think that's the that's the hard part is that you can't you can't make everybody happy and sometimes the league office is seen as the ultimate authority and sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't so it's we're the scapegoat in a lot of the tough issues and that's okay because the payoff is great then we get to go to these championships and and see our student athletes shine so it's still i i don't want to sound like i'm complaining because i have a really great job yeah, no, for sure. But when you have that big of a responsibility, there's naturally going to be, you know, the the other things that come along with it too. That's that's part of the the yeah. gig. But that would be tough. That would be tough. Now to wrap it up, you know, Mindy K, you you've got the experience as an athlete. You got the experience as a coach. You've got the experience now working in an administrative role as a commissioner, de deputy commissioner of the league. You've been around sports pretty much your whole life. Um, yep. And the question I want to know is, what would be the number one thing that sports have taught you? The number one thing that sports has taught me, oh my goodness, there's so much. But um, my my favorite thing about sport is probably um, the built-in, you have a built-in support system um, for probably the rest of your life. I still have teammates that I call on. And when we find out that a teammate is in need, I mean, it doesn't matter how many years have passed, we rush to we rush to support each other. And it also teaches you to, you have to rely on other people. So you do have to work as a team and support each other, even in the real world. Like you just have to learn that you're not an island. You do have to work well with others. And I think that has served me well, staying in the, in, in the industry and understanding that um, it takes more than one person to make everything work. But I, I have a support system and they have me. So I think that's been my favorite. I don't know if that's the most important, but that's been the one I rely on the most. 
I love that. I absolutely love it. And I've loved this conversation. Yeah, you I had getting to know you. It's been it's been a blast kind of just learning more about you and your role and just learning about the league and everything. Um, so have you written a book yet? No, but I Sean has kind of inspired me that I maybe should start to put some things down on paper. So I'll have to do that in all my free time. Okay. Yeah, in all your free time, exactly. But I would just say after reading the forward and now actually being able to have you know speak with you on the podcast. I think you would have an amazing book and I would buy it. So, so I will, kind. I will promote that as soon as that's ready. Whenever you awesome. get I'll send time. you my first draft. I would love to read it. Cause this is awesome. You have a great story, Mindy K. And Thank is you. it in the next couple of years, what is the plan for you? Are you planning on just, you know, trucking it out with what you're doing right now? Do you have aspirations as far as what you'll do in your career um, before everything's said and done? Yeah, I think I, I think I would eventually like to get to a point where I can, sit in the big chair and, and try my hand at commissioner or athletic director. So um, just kind of accumulating those leadership experiences to where I can diversify my resume enough to attract someone. So I think it's just staying in the daily grind, but um, division one is changing so much uh, with gosh, transfers, NIL, the whole nine yards. So I don't even know what our jobs will look like in the next five years. And that's both um, terrifying and exciting. So I think it's it's just kind of trying to find out how to be a leader in that is what I want to do and be an impactful leader in all of that. I love that. That's going to be exciting. Like you said, you mentioned all those things. I can imagine your your job responsibilities are probably like, you just never know. There's so many things, NIL specifically. Oh my gosh, there's probably so many hiccups that are going to be- It's a little disheartening because I would have loved a sponsorship back in the day. <laughs> No, no, for real. I was thinking about that. Like for all these athletes, like yourself, I mean, a hall of famer record breaker, like, come on now, you could have had some barbecue place down, you know, right next to your, your school that, yeah. been, you know, handing out checks to you every other week. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I could have, yeah. I could have shelled for five buck pizza back in Cedar city if they needed me to. <laughs> Heck yeah. Oh yeah. man. But the beauty is they have it now, but now we got to figure out a way to regulate it and, and, yep. and make sure it doesn't get out of hand. But that, I guess that's the hiccup you'll have to deal with one of the responsibilities here yep, in the near future. For sure. but. Um, for, for all the listeners out there, I hope you guys all enjoyed the interview. Mindy K, I, I appreciate you joining us and being willing to share your story. Um, and I look yeah, forward thank to you. continuing the relationship later and, and whatnot yeah. and seeing what you do. And for all listeners out there, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.